Welcome to the Mark Stereo Music Podcast. This podcast is an audio journal of my guests and I's adventures throughout the live and local music biz. Fun conversations, cool tunes, and good times will be had. My name is Mark Sterry, and I'm a 15-plus year veteran of the Twin Cities, Minnesota metro music scene. Check me out at Mark Sterry, that's S-T-A-R-Y, music.net. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All of my original music is available for download on iTunes, CD Baby, and most other places you get your music online. This podcast drops every Tuesday, if not before, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and most other places podcasts are available. If you enjoy it, please subscribe on iTunes. It's totally free and guarantees you'll never miss an episode. Get an extra buck or two, you wouldn't mind tossing in the podcast tip jar, please visit patreon.com forward slash Mark Stary Music Podcast. Also considering helping get the word out of the street via social media, five-star rating and review on iTunes, and or tell a friend or two. Happy Thought of the Day is by Jimmy Webb. Songwriting is hell on earth. If it isn't, then you're doing it wrong. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. Enjoy! Mark Sterry Music Podcast, episode 172. Thanks to all the folks who contribute to this podcast on Patreon.com. Coming at you on apparently one of the coldest stretches since 1996. Also battling a nasty cold as well. Oh well, winter in Minnesota. I'll be watching the Milwaukee Brewers before you know it. Last week's Geeks Wrap-Up. Wednesday played a solo show at Pub 42 in New Hope, Minnesota. Great to see DJ Luke back behind the bar. Friday played a solo show at Danny's in Stillwater, Minnesota. Nice to see previous manager Tom out and about. Saturday played a duo show at Seven Brothers in Clayton, Wisconsin. Happy birthday, Maya! Upcoming shows! Wednesday, January 30th, 2019, I'll be playing a solo show at Pub 42 in New Hope, Minnesota from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. Friday, February 1st, I'll be playing a solo show at Ingredients in White Bear Lake, Minnesota from 6 to 8.30 p.m. Saturday, February 2nd, Mr. Brian, Keith, Johnson, and myself will be rambling on up to Breezy Point, Minnesota to rock out at JJ's Pub from 5 to 9 p.m. is part three of three with Mike Butterworth and Jason Wallsmith of the popular folk rock band, The Nadas. We talk Iowa Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Bon Jovi, Blonde Hair Fads, and more. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome back to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast, everybody. We're here for a week Three with the Nadas, Jason and Mike from the Nadas, still here in South Minneapolis and still sipping on a freshly cracked, <laughs> surly brewing hell lager. What's your guys' review of this beer? How does it rest on your palates? Easy drinking. Yeah, it's 12 fluid ounces. Tasty. 5% alcohol by volume. I could drink about 100 of them. Yeah, if you hadn't told me it was a lager, I wouldn't have known that, actually. This, so that's interesting. What is your, okay, so this episode, I'm just going to ask you a bunch of just music questions, you know, your careers, your lives, that kind of stuff, and just so people kind of get to know you a little bit, and me, just myself, just kind of curious. Um, over the years, playing in the Nadas, which has been like 25 years, you were saying? Yeah, this years? is our 25th anniversary this year. What so. is your favorite 
drink or a classic drink of the Nadas or the band? Ugh, hmm. I, I I switched to bourbon and kind of never looked back. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I almost can't play a show without beer and it's not, it's not like a buzz thing or a get drunk thing. It's like my voice is conditioned to have beer to perform at its optimal level. Um, but I like cocktails too. I'm, I'm a big whiskey fan. What kind of whiskey? Uh, Templeton rye. Yeah. I actually, I do like rye quite a bit. The bourbon, bourbon's a little too sweet for me generally, although obviously there's some bourbon that's not, but any kind. Of whiskey isn't Templeton Rye from Iowa? Yeah, so the yeah we have a song called Templeton Rye. I assume that's what you're referring yeah, that's what I'm to. referring to. Yeah. Fill my cup, Templeton Rye, bag of sugar and a bushel of grain. Everyone's praying for rain. Revenueers pour it down the drain. Start from scratch. Um. And Templeton Rye is like a whiskey that you can buy at Kroger now. Can you buy whiskey at Kroger? I don't know. Anyway, it's Kroger what's Kroger? <laughs> you don't have Kroger here? No. And we had, this, we, whole, Cub, Cub we had this whole grocery store talk last night on stage. Rainbow, Cub, save, Cub? Save, Cub. Cub save a lot. What are, what are the grocery stores up here? Cub. Shout out to a big listener, Macklemore Corey. He's a manager. Well, Macklemore? Pumped, I bought some shit from a thrift what? shop. Ice on the fringe is so damn frosty. The people like, damn, that's a cold ass honky. Rolling in hella deep, headed to the mezzanine. Dressed in all pink, set my gator shoes. Those are green draped in a leopard mink. Girl standing next to me. Probably should have washed this. Smells like R. Kelly sheets. Bits. He looks just like Macklemore. Nice. He's one of my good buddies. But uh, he's a big pod. I mentioned a lot of the podcasts. He's a manager at Aldi. Aldi. Uh, in South Minneapolis, mm-hmm. around here. Mm-hmm. Aldi, we also have Hy-Vee. Yep, so Hy-Vee is our kind of local one, because that's from Iowa. But um, anyway, you can buy Templeton Rye at the grocery store nowadays, but the song is about the old bootleg stuff, which has been around since before Prohibition. And people, there are still people who are making on their farms and kind of carrying the tradition forward. And as we grew up playing in, in that part of the state, Carroll County, Western Iowa, people would always bring you know, flasks full of this bootleg and have us sample it. And that's not that unusual. I mean, a lot of times people would have you sample something as a, you know, at a show, but um, these samples always came with stories. And so the stories were really like intoxicating to me, almost as Literally. much as the whiskey. <laughs> and I, I, I became sort of obsessed with it. I mean, I, I, I spent weeks in the historical building going over like old uh, articles and arrest records of people bootlegging stuff and in small town archives of newspapers and, and city halls and things and in Templeton and, and interviewing old people in nursing homes who were alive in the thirties. And I mean, really I went, I dove deep. You going to write a book? No, I don't think so. Just for your own. I, I the, the song is my, I'm a songwriter. So, you know, how I remember it is that you kind of started like doing this research and didn't really have too much in the way of a structured song. Mm-hmm. And we were uh, in Dallas making the record that it's on, which is... What? Listen Through the Static. Listen Through the Static. Yeah. And that static record's written about a radio station, isn't it? Uh, that song is, yeah. Oh, so, song a song is. about kind of radio in general. Yeah. Okay. Um, and we were kind of, you know, we had three weeks booked there, and we were kind of getting down to the end where we could track things. And, 
you had been working on this song, but it wasn't done yet. And so the producers stopped recording, said, you get in that room, get your pen and paper. Don't, don't come out. Until you get it done. <laughs> we played a combination of kickball and dodgeball, which is real fun, while he wrote that. And then he came out with you know, sheets and sheets of paper, and they said, cut two-thirds of that out. And then he came out with Temples and Rye. And then we really just all walked into the, the live room and picked up an instrument. Everybody picked up different instruments. He played mandolin. He didn't play mandolin. The, the producers each played. One of our producers played guitar. The other one sat down on an organ, and we like played it, sang it, recorded it. It was done. That, that was, uh, those producers are cool. It's um, Todd and Toby Pipes, and they are the band Deep Blue Something. Breakfast at Tiffany's. Absolutely. So it was kind of funny. We had um, a publicist we were working with who we know from Iowa, um, but he moved to LA and was kind of in the scene on the media side of things. And he said, I want these guys, I think they'd be a great fit to produce your record. And so we booked a show in Dallas and they came out to watch us to see if they wanted to work with us. And we ended up doing two records with them. And it's just like really, really cool. They're they're cool and uh, great musicians, great producers, great people. Great people. They are great people. Mm-hmm. We had some w- wildness. Uh-huh. The Todd was big into making bets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to make us do dumb things. So first of all, so how long have you two known each other? Pretty much exactly the same amount of time as the band. Yeah, I'm actually. Uh, Jason's year ahead of me in school. And so in 93, when I went uh, from my hometown in Northwest Iowa to Ames to go to Iowa State, before classes even started, I I was in a band like for 15 minutes or whatever before, uh, before I went to college, but that was my only goal. Like class, sure, no, maybe, who knows, but I got to get in a band, and so I kind of just started asking around, and a mutual friend introduced us, and, uh, well, it'd be interesting from your perspective to see how... So I had a band that was a startup band. What was the name of the band? We didn't have a name. We didn't have any songs. We didn't have a gig. So I don't even know why you'd say we had a band, but we had a bunch of people who were going to play music together, and we had big plans, but we needed a guitar player, another guitar player. So we decided we would audition some guitar players. So he auditioned for the band, and then we accepted him into the band, and then everybody else in the band as, like, as disappeared. As the fourth guitar player? <laughs> I don't know. What songs did you have him audition? I don't know. I think we just were like, hey, play some music for us. Do you remember? I don't, I don't, what songs you I don't remember. You know what I am thinking about? Because I, I haven't thought about that in a long time. What play I'm thinking about him. now is the guitar that I had which was a Yamaha? No, plat- that it, no. I had a Strat, like an American oh, Strat. I have that? no idea where it is. <laughs> like that thing's worth some money, but I have no idea where it is. It should hang in the Iowa Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> no, well, that's you guys true. Are inducted. We'll talk about that too in a minute. Yeah, but no. So I so I uh, auditioned for this band and you got the gig. Got the gig, and before anything else happened, literally the rest of the band. Uh, quit school and moved, disbanded. (laughs) They moved to the Pacific Northwest, leaving Jason and I. 
And so I put down that Strat and forgot where I put it, apparently. <laughs> uh, and we picked up acoustic guitars and we did the Indigo Boys, essentially. It was a, the Indigo Boys. <laughs> essentially, yeah. I mean, that's kind of... there At that time, you know, there was that sort of thing, like the Melissa Etheridge Indigo Girls kind of acoustic rock that was on the radio. And then I was into... It, at the time, it was called Progressive Rocks, but it was bands like Big Ed Todd the Monsters, Samples, um, Sonia Dada. I think of it as college rock. College rock at the time. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna split. I can't stand it. I'm gonna give it up and quit and ain't never coming back. But before I get to going, I got to say. I- um, and then Jason was more into the acoustic singer-songwriter, like a Greg Brown or... Folk music, yeah, Sean Collin. Yeah. I hear a lot of, when you sing Jason, a lot of your stuff, it seems like uh, uh, Uncle Tupelo-ish. Is that, is yeah, that, was that, that influence on yep, you at all? I saw Uncle Tupelo at the maintenance shop in Ames. And, um, and so that the alt-country thing was starting, but we were never disillusioned that we were like alt-country, really. Am I still... If whiskey don't kill me, but there is there's, there's elements of it in there. Yeah, that's I mean, what I was liking. We were to we were Town. learning and playing like Gordon Lightfoot and like folk songs. Mm-hmm. You know, where'd you get your your uh, your uh, falsetto? Who's it? What's the influence behind that? Do you know that uh, I learned that by practicing every time I took a shower. I don't know that. I did not know that's that. How I learned, <laughs> that's how I learned to make love. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I wanted to sing, and I don't know, I, God, I hope it wasn't because of Dave Matthews, but... Was it Chris Isaac, though? Maybe. Ooh, Isaac. You know, and it was just something that I wanted to do, and so I'm like, how am I going to do this? Well, if I do it every time I take a shower, then maybe I can do it. And that's... That's how I... <laughs> uh, yeah, the beers are kicking in. <laughs> oh my god, that is awesome! Because that's your signature sound, kind of when you do that that uh, false or the yeah the false subtle parts in a lot of songs. And I I do it a lot. Um, I can you know I have not an octave, but almost a whole octave above what I can hit in my full head voice or my you know my, my full voice. So it just allows for a, a much larger range. I'd like to take this origin story one step further. Mm-hmm. So, so he made the made the cut. We were left as a duo. And now we had a band. We still didn't have a name. We still didn't have any songs. Didn't have any gigs. But we're like, what do we do? And so, we had a I had a mixtape that was full of like really good songs. And we learned that mixtape, but that wasn't quite enough to like play a gig. So then we're like, well, now what do we do? Like we basically learned all the songs. He had a, I think you had a sample song you wanted to do. We had a few songs we wanted to do, and then we're like, well, let's just write a couple songs. That'll be easier. And that's really is, that is way easier than learning that's other people's chords. Really, how we started writing songs was like, well, we're out of songs now. What do we do? Let's write some, and then we'll have enough songs. Do you remember the first song you guys wrote? Well, you had written one, pre, I had written and I had one. written one pre. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I I think I remember them. Like persuasion was one of the first ones. Uh, oddly, I mean, Hat Man. Yeah, I'm one of like my 
first maybe five was Dancing Lucinda and Where I'm Going. That's one of your first five songs you wrote? Yeah. Oh, man. And that's what, it, when people, when we get to talking about this, I'm always like, yeah. You were I, a kid. Yeah. I you're... peaked way early, <laughs> and it's been downhill ever since. Not in my view, not with, but not with the new, no, but that's, I that's was crazy. Eight, 18 or 19 when I wrote Dancing Lucinda. I had Martin Zeller on the podcast. You guys know Martin Zeller? Oh, yeah. Things so So he was talking about how a lot of his hits were written when he was like in high school or right out of high school, and he's always been trying to catch up and do some of that stuff. Yeah, you're just you're just so like you know you're um, I don't know. Well, you know you know what I found is that optimistic. It's it's that, but also your dance card is completely wide open. Yeah. So, but now there's no rules. There's no. Preconceived notions, and we haven't done no, it before. Right. Like now, if we go to write a song, we're like, "Well, we can't write this love song. We can't write this road song. We can't write this breakup song because we've already done it four times." So, like the the scope of what you write about kind of gets way narrowed down, and it has to become more real, basically. Very cool. Um, do you guys remember your first gig? I found the poster for my first gig the other day. And I, I framed it up on the wall for the very first gig I had. It said, yeah, we went to UW-Stout in Wisconsin. And uh, do you guys remember your first show? I remember our first gigs, but I don't yeah. know what I remember a lot of our first gigs, but I don't remember which one the first one was. A lot of people talk about... It was probably about, like a private thing, yeah, right? Like, yeah, fraternity parties and stuff like that. Right. Um, but, I, but it could have been people's, um, because my girlfriend at the time, when uh, we started our band, had a band, and... And I, we started out by like opening for their shows. Opening they, for your girlfriend's band? Yeah. Who became my wife? Who became my ex-wife? <laughs> oh. Yeah. Is that the girl who used to sing with you on stage yep. at the Fine Line? Yep. I remember you guys having her up on stage. Yep. Her band was cool. There was no bass, and it was sort of like a. Every once in a while, there was a bass, but yeah, it was a it was two a, acoustic guitars and drums, which. And the drums wasn't a kit, really. It was sort of a... Hodgepodge. Yeah. And then she sang, and it was pretty cool. And one of the guitar players looks exactly like the lead singer from Cracker. Mm-hmm. Huh. Maybe not now, but <laughs> at that time, they looked identical. I don't think the lead singer from Cracker looks like the lead singer from Cracker now. Touche. Yeah. yeah. What's his name? I always name? heard that this, the name, the Nadas, was never-ending story. The Nothing. Is that true? Never ending story. As far as I know, I had Remember nothing the, to the do with the movie Never yeah, Ending yeah. Story, and it's uh, the nothing. I thought the nadas was just well, a, the na- a Spanish nadas word. Means the nothings, nothing. Yeah, yeah, that's why I thought it was a never ending story reference. Like your latest album is a Spinal cool. Tap reference. That's how I always thought. There, there's a lot of theories, but really <laughs> what it is is that we are trying to think of a name that meant something, and we couldn't, and this is a name that means nothing. We, just we like probably should have been fine. called The Nothings, which would have been cool. Uh, last night, so last night when we played, we're, you know, we were at Les Musiques, 
Um, and we were in front of Chris Hockey's fans. There was literally two people that had ever seen our band before, which that doesn't happen because we mostly headline. So we're, we're playing to a friendly audience. Um, but it went, ah, I'm so sorry. Um, so we played the show. It went well, received well. And afterwards, we were talking to some people. And one person said, you guys shouldn't be called the Nadas. You should be called the Aladas. Oh. I said, that's pretty good. Can't change it now. Yeah, too late. Yeah. So for an audience that's never heard you before, what songs do you pick to play? Whatever we want to play. Yeah, we just do our thing. Or we, just we try to take thing? them on a ride, you know? So something a little upbeat, something a little bit quieter, something big, something small. Okay. But basically, we, as a, we've learned as artists, we do what we want to do. People like it or they don't. We have found that people like it, so we do what we do. Yeah. We did give them a slutty cover at the end. That's true. <laughs> that is true. So who are some of your other influences as far as songwriters go? I have so many, really. I grew up on Tom Petty. in northwest Iowa and I bet my town was a lot like your town um, where, it was, where was your town? Turtle Lake, Wisconsin Turtle Lake and that's not made we up made that up no, no it's not where's UW Stout? Menominee, Wisconsin we've played there but I don't know we've UW played there Stout? yeah that's uh, yeah yeah um, and uh, what was I saying oh Tom Petty yeah so the I, I basically had for music the resource was my grandparents and my parents record collection which was a lot of folk music, basically, and a lot of Christmas music, <laughs> like a lot of Christmas <laughs> music. Um, and then one radio station that played... K-U-O-O, Okaboji. Yep. I mean, you know, they were playing 80s stuff that I didn't connect with, but they in, in that was like the Melissa Etheridge and the Tom Petty, which I think now, looking back, was more of a folksy or straight-ahead rock and roll uh, format than what everything else is playing and that's what I connected with so Tom Petty really is my top and first influence but now I have just like tons and a lot of them are peers like I I love listening to our peers music Mm -hmm. how about you uh I grew up listening to KGGO 95 KGGO Des Moines best rock and roll Des Moines which was which was classic rock which in the 80s and 90s was 60s and 70s and it was awesome, awesome radio station. And KJJY, which was a country station that my mom listened to on the AM. And um, could it be on the AM if it was KJJY? I don't know. Anyway, she listened to a lot of AM country, which was great. Um, and then when I went to, so I was listening to like Led Zeppelin and uh, Jethro Tull and Rolling Stones, um, Beatles. And then when I went to college, I got into this like singer songwriter thing, folk music. I went to uh, I went to an annual festival in Colorado called Rock uh, called Folk Festival in Lyons, Colorado, and discovered people like Sean Colvin and Greg Brown, who's an Iowa songwriter, but he's like he's like the Tom Waits of Iowa. Without their loving kindness, I don't know what I'd do. Oh, the wine bottles have empty, the money is all spent. We're a cross between our parents and 
hippies in a tent, love call. And um, and then bands like Uncle Tupelo and Whiskey Town, and and uh, so into that alt alt country genre. But but everyone you just said are like world class, top notch songwriters, and they're great performers. For sure, but their songwriting is the focus, and we we kind of decided. And not, I don't think it was a conscious decision, but we decided that we're going to write the best songs that we can and then put them to music and do whatever we need to do or what we want to do with the music behind a good song. To support the song. To yeah. support the song. Very cool. Who's in the Nadas nowadays besides you two? What's the lineup, the band lineup? So our, our bass player is Brian Duffy. And th- this band now, Brian Duffy, Brandon Stone, and Neil Stoffergen, who's Neil's in the other room um, here today, um, all the, kind of all kind of started guys. at the same time. They're the new guys coming on seven, seven years ago. Seven years ago, yeah. <laughs> Neil Neil kind of was a little a little delayed. Like he played on the same record that the other two started on, but just sort of as a session guy. And then we just started hiring him every time we could, and then he just kind of started coming to every show. We browbeat him into it. Yeah. We still you're, get you're in the band, dude, <laughs> and he plays in a lot of bands, but um, but mostly ours, hopefully. So um, those guys all started at the same time about seven years ago. Uh, Brian Duffy on bass, Brandon Stone on drums, Neil Stafford on keys. Cool keys, pedal steel, electric, melodica, all kinds of stuff. Nice. Um, since we're here in the Twin Cities, is there any like? Twin Cities bands you guys were up and coming when you started traveling up here that you would work with or you were big fans of? We we played Gear Daddy's songs. Yeah, we used to play Gear Daddy's songs. So, yeah, you mentioned Martin Zeller. We used to play with the Gear Daddies quite a bit and Martin quite a bit. I mean, we played with them in other parts of the country even. Uh, we played in New York. We played in Phoenix. We played... Uh, so, Martin Zeller. Um, we played a lot with Daisy and Maisie. The way your face Will Bauermeister has been on a number of times. Yeah. I, I, he's one of my favorites he's of a all time. Perfect human being. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You mean he like, just wrote a play? Yeah. He was, he's yeah he's, physically attracted. Yes. He's yeah. perfect. He wrote uh, a play. He was working on a play last time I talked to him about a year or so ago. He's been on the podcast a few times. Awesome. That's one of my other favorite songwriters and bands, uh, Daisy Head Maisie, especially for the songs uh, My Capacity. Remember that mm-hmm. song? Yeah. Oh, yeah. A little roadie, roadie. You know, and then mm-hmm. um, uh, Push used, Away. And We used to do that inside of another song. Remember yeah. that? Mm-hmm. You would do that song? In, mm-hmm. Inside of another song. Like we, there was bust into it for a while. We sort of had a jam band phase nice. for a little while. Um, when we were... Was that the end of last summer? <laughs> yes. When we were coming up, um, we would get Minneapolis bands touring through Ames. So the ones I remember are like um, Johnny Clueless. Panoramic you know, Blue. Was that before your time? Uh, the Billies. So Gear Daddies, Martin Zeller, and his Neil. Tribute. Marley McLeod. Remember her? Marley McLeod, yeah. She I'm going to leave you. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you know her? No. Um, Teen in the B-Sides. Teen in the B-Sides. Funny how the years roll back. Just roll back. And realize that what's all that left is wasted time. 
So Jackie Q had a drummer that we borrowed for about two years, Billy Hahn. Oh, yeah. Um, who and you, you should get you, him on your podcast. You okay. mentioned... He's Pan- like a Minneapolis guy who now is Jason Mraz's drummer. I think he's with Colby Calais right now. Okay. Um, you mentioned Panoramic Blue. Mm-hmm. and But that's sort of the new wave. Right. So that's when we started playing and playing with other bands. That's and Daisy had Maisie, and we are the same age and came up. They were in Mankato, we were in Ames, and then we met in the middle. And who else were we playing with up here? There's a couple other ones, you know, but... It escapes me at the moment. But th- that, those are who we connected with. Cool. I can hear that. That's awesome. Uh, question for you there, Mike. Uh, since I mentioned in episode one, you were I really looked up to you guys, and even in a fashion sense. Um, when you so had, you dyed, this is going to be a tough question. So scary. So you, you dyed your hair blonde and had the, the rock star shirt and the cigarette and all that stuff. So I went and did all that. I'm so sorry and, about the cancer. But why? <laughs> and then I had other friends that did it too, but why did we dye our hair blonde when we were why rocking out? We? Why did we dye I our mean, hair do you want to know? I'll tell you because yeah. there is one why? specific Because I did reason. it too. What was the point of dyeing my hair blonde? So and you're the first. I, I think it's because I was trying to be like you, but then I kept doing it. I don't for know years. what's with you guys. I only frosted my tips. Yeah, <laughs> frosty tip. Um, Okay, so this is funny because our current tour manager is Kristen Toft, and uh, I we went to school in Ames. She's been there since day one. Not the whole time. Right. She was there day one. I, she's back I claim us. I met her before I went to college. She doesn't remember. It offends me. <laughs> um, but we were living uh, a floor apart on in a building, and... Was this the one across from Thumbs? I don't even remember, but... Uh, what I do remember is we watched Train Spotting. Yeah. And at well after midnight, we went to Walgreens. It was open 24 hours a day because I said, I want to be blonde like Sick Boy. <laughs> It starts from train spotting. We watched train spotting, <laughs> went directly to Walgreens at midnight. Probably, you know, I'm she not dyed your sure. hair. Tofted. Yeah, she helped. I did it, and it was carrot orange. <laughs> Mine was too. I had pictures of the carrot orange. Carrot well, orange. Oh, yours still is, isn't it? And so I. <laughs> no, 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 it was carrot, carrot <laughs> orange. So I did it again, and then it was orange, orange, and then I did it again. And basically, if anyone wants to know how to get white hair, I have, and I now have the formula. I can, I can tell you right now what it is. I'd have to go look at it. To, Nobody to now remember. wants to get white hair. <laughs> Dang it! You know what though? It, people go now white people and then they go gray. Good job. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like I'm setting trends. But that's yeah, that's awesome. it. Watch Train Spotting. Went to Walgreens at midnight. Went blonde and did not go back for ten freaking years, except for a couple times when I went black. And that it didn't end in up in solidarity working. with your wife at the time. Oh, yeah. There was a time I distinctly remember, and where he dyed it or let it go nat- back natural, and people were like, "Where's Mike?" And he'd be standing like right here. We'd be like hanging out at the bar. He'd be like, they'd be like, "Where's Mike?" They'd ask him, "Where's Mike?" I'm right here. Where's the blonde guy? Yeah, and for a long time I was the blonde guy, and he made me like I probably was five years longer than I wanted to be with the blonde hair because he made me. Bullshit! I can't make you do anything. <laughs> Oh, man. All right, a couple more questions here real quick. Um, so 
Uh, it's a shout out to my buddy Chris Monette, who has the biggest Playboy magazine collection <laughs> of all time for oh, our hunting my. cabin up in northern Wisconsin. Um, how did they dis- how did they discover you guys to write up that you were considered in 2001 the best college band you've never heard of? How did that same, come about? Same guy that hooked us up with the Pipes Brothers. His name's Corey Moss. We should give him a, a shout out Hello, here Corey. on the podcast. And people should look him up. He's a, an Iowa guy who has had really incredible success in Hollywood, just like doing things in entertainment. He worked for MTV for a really long time, and MTV News specifically. And this writer, this editor for Playboy, basically called all of her friends around the country and said, "I want tell me about a band that I need to know about that I've never heard of that I that I can surprise people with in this article. And so... She called him, and he told her that she should do a story about us. But do you know why she chose that? Because of all the people she called? I don't. Three three different people said, oh. uh, said us. One from Denver and one from, so, yeah. so from she New got, York. She got the same answer from people around the country. And so her name uh, was Allison Lundgren. She wrote the story. And, uh, yeah, it was awesome. That's great. She came on the road with us for a week, right? Mm-hmm. Like in the bus and everything. And she said at the beginning, she said, everything that you say is on sides. On it's the on record. the record. And we were all like, yeah, great. And then we became comfortable and became friends and then said stuff we shouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> and then it showed up in Playboy, which my grandma, who at the time I suppose was in her middle 80s, uh, I, I told her, you know, it comes out on this day. And she went to every single gas station in our small Town, which is like your small town, yeah, and asked Turtle River for play. (laughs) Asked for Playboy, and it wasn't out yet. But my she got a reputation. She got a reputation. (laughs) What issue was it? Uh, September two thousand one. Okay. So the reason that's actually significant and that I can rattle it off like that is because that's that's the it came out September fourth. It's actually the October issue, but it came out September fourth, and then September eleventh happened. Yeah. So it was kind of a crazy thing for us where it seemed like, and I'm not, it sounds like I'm whining or complaining. I'm not at all. But it seemed like it was sort of like the biggest break ever. Yeah. And it just, just you know, evaporated instantly. Like all entertainment did. I don't know if you, if you remember that. I time, do but, remember it very, very well. But But pretty much anything that was entertainment related, like went away for a while. You know, I think they didn't. They even almost cancel the Oscars or cancel the Grammys or something like that. It was a very hard time for I think yeah. a lot of us. You know, it was a, yeah for sure. Um, interesting stuff. Not, not I got to bring, gotta, your, I gotta not dig to bring up, your podcast. I got to dig up that old yeah. issue, man. Do you guys remember who the centerfold was? Uh, I don't. But it was, it was like the girls of the Big Ten. Yeah. Girls of the Big Ten. Yeah. Sweet. Um, so. I know one of your guys' other, besides Will Bauermeister, Will Bauermeister, a Daisy Head Maisie, one of your other guys' best friends, is uh, uh, John Bon Jovi. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're like this. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> How was, how was it working with Bon Jovi? Did you guys get to talk to him and meet him? I had Kat Perkins on the show. She was talking about opening up for Bon Jovi. Yeah, what so, yeah, would she have to say before we give you this answer? <laughs> she said he was pretty cool. She said he was really nice, and they, they, they watched like their shows every night and analyzed what they did. Hmm. So Sounds how was your guys' experience? Not like that. Not, not awesome. My parents had to buy $175 tickets because we couldn't have a guest list. 
We didn't even have seats. Nope, we didn't have seats. We weren't allowed to sell merchandise. We ordered like thousands of dollars of t-shirts in anticipation, uh, and they're like, oh, you can't sell merch here. And we had to move our bus out of the bay right when we were done, which there's at least a dozen bays. And then we went to craft services to get dinner, and they were all sitting in there. And right when we walked in, they got up and left. So not not great. <laughs> Not great. I mean, John Bond watched our sound check. Maybe that's why he didn't want to talk to us afterwards. Uh, well, I suppose that show is on YouTube, though. I, found, I watched. I found it. it not too long ago, and was, Are you it, it was just one camera. I watched um, it. Yeah, I'd like to fun. see that. Did I have blonde hair? Yes, I did. Yeah. Yeah. You I think cool I had hair. orange pants? Oh my. Yeah, it's a kind of reddish kind of tint over, mm-hmm. like reddish lights and stuff behind it. It's a cool show. It was. It was actually sort of. This is more than you bargained for with the question. It was. You were in the middle then. You switched now. Where you're in the middle now. Oh, we were. All, we were. I was made to be in the middle. We weren't allowed <laughs> to stand where we wanted to stand. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. No. We we didn't get to choose. Uh, we weren't allowed to like use the same soundboard. It was. We just had like this little plug and play. Little. It was crazy, um, but it was actually way more tragic for us. It, it was not a good thing for us. It was a cool experience for the 15 minutes of fame. And it was an epic feeling having 17,000 people. I really, truly thought that most people would be annoyed that we were there. But there were people with huge like banners, like sheets that they wrote on, hanging from the balconies. The whole place was singing along. That part was epic. Like cool. I, I thought people would be like, get off the stage, bring on so, Bon Jovi. But the the crappy part you can edit edit this out later if you want to because it's just sort of a downer but we had that was the listen through the static record um we had done the record before called transceiver that one we did with the pipes brothers and we we were like really trying to have some commercial success we had an la manager these producers who had mega hit songs and we made this record and we pushed it out to radio. We, we paid radio promoters. We invested tons of money in that record, way more than this last one. And it just was a dud. So the next one, listen through the static, we were like, fine, we don't need to do that. We don't need to make a record for radio. We'll yeah, make a record we'll make for, ourselves. for ourselves. And we made this song called Listen Through the Static, which was about how radio is just sort of bullshit and how it controls the market, but it's... There's gatekeepers, and it's all about the money and who you pay to do what. And so we put that song out, and then that one started getting, without radio promoters, without management, without that started getting real legitimate airplay. Commercial radio. Around the country, including our own hometown, Clear Channel, big commercial hit station. And it started getting played a lot. And they're like, we had meetings with them where they were like, we're going to play this. Are you guys ready for what this is going to do? It's going to open doors. Are you ready? And we're like, yeah, we're ready. I mean, we've been doing this for all this time. This is what we've been lo- waiting for. And I drive, tune the dial, every mile. I search for a sound that suits my style. And so it was up to like 45 spins a week, which is like almost heavy rotation. And it was just growing. They did focus groups. Like all the right things were happening. And... Then Bon Jovi was like, hey, we're going to do this tour. We have local bands open up shows. And the radio station was like, you guys should do this. You should you should enter to win this. Yeah, so it's a radio contest. It's a contest. Bon Jovi still ultimately picks whoever it is, but 
you should enter. And we were like, uh, no, that's sounds like battle of the bands. Not really interested. We're like, we've been working all this time. We're getting commercial success. Um, no, thank you. And the radio station was like, no, you need to do this. This is going to change your career. This is the next step. Don't make a mistake. And we're like, uh, no, we just want to go on with this actual airplay and let the market decide. And it was all going so well. So then eventually we, uh, we signed up, we won. And then somebody said, oh, this is bullshit. You guys paid off the radio station. Um, you didn't win this fair and square. What about all these other bands? Why are you, you know? And so the radio station was like, okay, this is getting, there's too much heat. We're not going to play your record anymore. So overnight, it just went straight up. It's a heat magnet. Huh. Well, you know, uh, so that was the. Well, I'll, I'll take so all Bon Jovi songs out of my set list tonight, <laughs> no, I swear to God. And there's nothing it's wrong. Not even, if if you're going to bon take Jovi's someone's um, songs out of your playlist take Huey Lewis's we'll get into that later or not but um okay I do play some Huey here's here's the fun things about that show one um they have someone that carries a washer and dryer in a road case and does their laundry at each venue they bring their own washer and dryer on their semis cases full of washers and dryers I think it was six washers and dryers pretty nuts 150 road crew just Insane, insane. Um, for for us, that gig was like from a spatial standpoint, we were crammed in the middle of their gear, so it felt it was about like we were like, on their drum riser. Yeah, it felt, but it felt Except like the stages we were used were on to playing. A bigger riser behind us, <laughs> but, but we were the, those. That's the size of stage we were used to playing on, right? Yeah. And when the lights were down, when you look out, it looked about like someplace like the fine line where you could see you know a couple hundred people and it felt good i remember when we started playing and the lights came up and it went now we're going back and like holy shit now the sides holy shit and now the balcony i'm like oh my god <laughs> that like i will took your breath away ever remember that yeah. like we've played for that many people different times but not in a concert setting you know like a festival type deal or an event type deal um, that was straight amazing. Mm-hmm. That, Agreed. that and the washer dryer. Wow. Oh, um, and you know what? The other fun part for me is, so my parents, who could not come backstage, I met them uh, <laughs> on the mezzanine level after the show, and I was talking to my mom, and a woman came up and said, can I get your autograph? And I'm like, sure. And she whipped out her ta-ta. <laughs> And I was like, well, okay. And so I signed a ta-ta in front of my mother. Dude. (laughs) That's got to be a song on the next record. A (laughs) ta-ta. All right, one last question here. Um, uh, So tell us about being inducted in the 2018 Iowa Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Isn't that Nokoboji? It is. Mike's hometown. Did you used to play it? You probably played Captains and all that stuff down there then. Oh, yes. Um, who's all in the Iowa Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I was there, I think it's Slipknot and Buddy Holly. Everly Brothers. I Everly Brothers. I'm not sure if Slipknot is is in it yet. There was like this temporary exhibit that we were in with Slipknot, but I don't think they're actually inducted in it yet. They might not be eligible yet. They, they might not be 25 years old yet. Yeah. Close, so you have to be but... 25 years old. Well, you also need to have to started have, 25 years ago. And you need to make an impact on the, the music business. 
Which I'm not. I'm not sure they, they have. have. Oh wait, yes, they have. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but we were inducted in our class of inductees uh, with the bass player from Megadeth, who's actually a Minnesotan. Yeah, it's it's uh, hold Jackson, on. right? Danny Elfson. Uh, uh, yeah, he it's said, Dave Elfson. Dave huh? Elfson, who's a but he's from real, Jackson, Minnesota, which is like right over the border. So oh, he said I've that he wanted to have him on. I love playing. Megadeth. Yeah, you should work through the Iowa. Rock I mean, whole he thing. would do it. He's super cool. You know yeah. Dave Elfson? Well, kind of. We after met, after we met this, him. we hung out all weekend. Oh, like he's a he was pretty he's cool, a good huh? dude. Yeah, he was super nice. He did like a workshop. We were we didn't get to go to it because we were doing a workshop, but um, but yeah, I think he spends most of his time in Minnesota now, in Jackson. Nice. Um, so what's that mean to you guys, like being your home state and everything else, to be recognized like that? I mean, it's awesome. It's uh, it was really fun to. I, I, we met people that we'd heard about like our whole career, but that we didn't know or ever have the chance to meet just because we we're all doing our own thing. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think most, there, a lot of people don't know there is an Iowa rock and roll hall of fame. So whenever we say that we got inducted into the Iowa rock and roll hall of fame, we, we say not to be confused with the Ohio rock and roll hall of fame, which is another hall of fame. Yeah. Kind of like there. the Iowa rock and roll hall of fame. Cleveland. Yeah. For me, when, when they first called us, I was like, man, that's cool. That's like, that's really cool. Cause I grew up and I would go to the induction ceremonies and, um, see shows at the roof garden, like a lot of great shows. Like I saw the Everly brothers. Um, but then kind of as it sunk in, I was like, Holy crap, this is cool. And then as we were there doing it, I'm like, this is a really, really big deal and a really deep honor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you guys perform a song or whatever? We performed 20 minute set. We closed out the night, man. We rock t- we and tore roll. Down the roof because after our set, they, it was the last thing in the in that version of the Rift Garden, and they tore it down. Oh, dude, are you serious? Yeah. What yeah. songs did you pick? I don't remember. I don't remember. We, you don't we, remember? Well, I mean, so <laughs> we, we had a set. We we played twenty minutes, right? Which I think we played maybe four songs, maybe five songs out of a hundred and fifty. It was really hard to choose what to play. Yeah, so I'm curious what you picked. Yeah, I don't remember, but we'd have to go. We'd the have to go to show. Tape. Was like seven hours long. Oh, okay. So there were thirty five inductees. And we hit the stage at 1230 at night. And there were, there were like, the, they had this battle of the bands, like kid band se- segment at the beginning. So it was a long, long night. Yeah. Um, the other fun part is we invited most everyone back that had been in the band. Um, and we got them inducted as well. Um, but a lot came up to the show. So it was like, we kept the show moving, but... At the drums specifically, there's a different drummer on each tune, and people stepped up and in and out and played solos and this and that and the other thing. And it was it was uh, it was pretty fun. I think that's on the internet too. I was I have to check that out. I'm just so obviously overexcited. Twenty minutes. How does I mean, we played we played new and old. So I know I think we played Rita's Hook and we played something else off the new record. We ended with I'm Still Here, which is the last song of the new record. I, I'm sure we played Dancing we'll play with Cinda. Dancing with Cinda. Um, what Tony play on? Do we play "Walk Home All Alone"? Walking home no, alone. I mean, we John and or Tony they just did, did their, their jam s- thing, their jam. but I don't know, it was it was really That's fun really awesome, and a man. really great honor. And I basically it was a 
multi-phase sink in for me. I had never <laughs> been to the induction ceremony, but I plan to go. It's every Labor Day weekend, and I plan to go now. Do you get like a coat like the golf guys do to be that you're in or a ring? I got you one got a coat. Yeah. yeah, we got plaques. That's awesome. Hey, thank you guys for being on the Mark Steer Music Podcast. I got one final question. I always do the story behind the song segment. This has been this session's way over, but it's been such an honor to <laughs> to talk to you guys. It's so interesting, and I'm sure the folks that are fans of yours will really love this. Uh, there's one final song I want to ask you about for the story behind the song segment. I know you talked about behind the static that record and that mm-hmm. song, whatever. But one of my favorite ones is off the 2010 Almanac record, okay. a song called Bitter Love. So what's the story behind that song or how you track that? Just real quick. So Almanac was this record, this concept that we did that was pretty weird for us where we decided we would write, record, and release one song per month for a year. And then at the end of that year, we'd put it all on a CD and put it out. But people could subscribe to the year-long process. And we live-streamed like every element of that. So we live-streamed the from the very first time we sat down to, to write a song and we always had to start fresh. So that was the first song of the record. That was January. We sat down and we're like, all right, here we go. And we just said, what are we going to write about? And it was really, really cold. So the first line of that song is it's cold because it was cold. And we're like, now what? And, and, uh, I, I don't remember where the hook came from, but I just remember it just sort of like it was this chronological thing like that. Um, I was I was just singing it in my head to see kind of what it was, but it might have been... Our Love's a Bitter War. Well, yeah. I know, but I wonder what cut it is on there, which means if it was cold, it was towards the end of the no, year, no, no, which it means... the first song. Oh. It was January. Oh. Yeah. Well... So it was cold. I, I think it's so catchy. I was going to circle back to like... That, I mean, I, I it was a fun idea, but it turns out that every single time we were down to the wire and we were like busting our ass to get this song out on schedule. That one we we and started then on like January third. The next day we had to start and do it over again. So we we're like, ooh. But I, I can say though, like <laughs> conceptually, lyrically, that song. Like, um, sorry if you wouldn't want me to say this, but like, Ghost Inside These Halls was sort of Mike's divorce record. Almanac was sort of my divorce record and also Mike's divorce record because he still had some things to work out, I think. Apparently. That song was just about, you know, I mean, I, I remember really feeling about how kind of love is hard, basically. I gotcha. All right. Mr. Mike Butterworth and Jason Wallsmith of the Nadas. Thank you guys so much for being on the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. Uh, when are you guys back in the Twin Cities in March at the Turf Club? Yeah, we should look that up. Look it's, it up uh, real quick. I think it's March 15th. March 15th. Or whatever the weekend Yeah, come is. check them out. But thank you for having us on. It's, and uh, Yeah, it's so cool to get to know you guys, and, and it's been a, a definitely a privilege for me to get to hang out with you guys and, and uh, really appreciate it. Um, what's your website, nadas.com? Thenadas.com, yep. Okay. And we don't do March we don't 15th. change our website up much, but we do a lot on Facebook and Instagram. So yep. um, tune in there. We're doing a, we're doing a lot of uh, live streaming, and uh, I'm just learning how to use Instagram Stories. Nice. I have no idea how that even works. Yeah, it's weird. So is it the fifteenth? It is March fifteenth. Okay. March fifteenth at the Turf Club. All right. Thank you guys for being on the podcast. Thanks for having us. We'll see you later. Thanks 
Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of the Mark Steri Music Podcast. Hope you've enjoyed the program. We'll see you back here for a new podcast about life and times in the live and local music scene each and every Tuesday, if not before, on iTunes and SoundCloud and most other places podcasts are available. This is a listener-supported podcast, so if you'd like to get on board, please visit patreon.com forward slash Mark Steri Music Podcast. If you enjoyed some of the musical edits on the show, please head on over to your local record store or do some digging on iTunes and load up on some new songs. Also, if you get a chance, please go check out some live music somewhere. It could be a great and worthwhile experience. Life is short. Go have some fun. Till next time. Someone hurt